0: since he himself gives to all mankind life, breath, and everything. And moving to the end of the chapter. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed. Welcome back to the Dominion Podcast. I'm Jeremy Boyd. I'm Alex Kluesterman. We're your your hosts. If you are astute uh, viewers, Of the Dominion podcast. Which our viewers are. Yeah, you'll notice that on our last episode, season two, episode two, this is episode three, that we're wearing the same clothes. Uh, That's because we We, just recorded the other one about an hour and a half ago. So yeah, yeah, it's the same day, same day here in studio, but a new episode. And we got a special guest today. You want to introduce our special guest?
1: This is Pastor Joshua Mills. He's a buddy Mm -hmm. of mine, pastor at Trinity Baptist in Burlington. And um, thanks for coming on the podcast.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's a privilege guys. good to be here.
1: Yeah, great. To so have Josh you. and I met at TBS many yeah. moons ago, I don't know, like five years ago or something. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, we met yeah. in our Monday evening Greek class, yeah, which was Josh is the studious one, so he could, I did a class, I did a semester.
0: But he actually learned Greek? Yeah, he actually (laughs) learned Greek.
1: I just realized it's all Greek to
0: me. You know how to use a concordance. He can actually read it. Yeah, exactly. I'm like,
1: you know what? Five English translations, and that's about all I can handle. (laughs) Oh, man. But we met at TBS, and um, Josh went on to finish, not only finish his degree, but take on a role as an intern at Trinity for a bit. Yep. And then you became associate for a while. Yep. And then the church went through some turmoil, and he was the last man standing and became... So it was a hostile takeover? Is yeah. that what happened? No, yeah. not exactly. <laughs> there were some hostilities, but he ended up, um, through God's providence and with the support of his congregation, that he's shepherding them now with some other good men.
0: Mm. So how long ago was that uh, kind of upheaval? Uh, I guess it was... Uh...
2: Kind of in spring of twenty twenty one, right? I mean, all the the last two years seem a blur. big blur, yeah. but yeah. yeah.
0: So was it related to a lot of the COVID stuff? Kind of a bit, a bit. Uh, and then it spun off in
2: a bunch of different right. things. Right. So yeah, it was How, messy.
0: How's the congregation doing now, though? Yeah,
2: it's been uh, it's been an encouraging season. You mm-hmm. know, the Lord really brought us through a period of uh, yeah, you know, great uh, great trial as a congregation, but but through that season, we've really seen in the last. Year and a half, almost a lot of the Lord's blessing, and yeah. um, you know, new new faces, new converts, um, really a, almost like a little revived spirit within the church yeah. that the Lord uh, kindled up. So it's a it's a really encouraging time yeah. of ministry, and
1: yeah. yeah, yeah, we Beck and I have had an opportunity to go down several times and get closer with Josh and his wife, mm. um, also with some of the other congregants there, and and Harry and Trudy and their family. Um, Jonathan and Heidi, and yeah, the Lord's doing a great work at Trinity and really a, a, a renewal and a mm-hmm. revival. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's a love in the congregation and mm-hmm. a, a hunger for the word. And yeah, it's, it's a precious thing. And just a reminder that you persevere through the trials by faith and God just produces fruit in us. And this mm-hmm. is true in our own personal life and the trials we go through. This is true as a congregation And yeah, there's there's fruit that they are experiencing now that they just wouldn't have if they all decided that look, there's an easier road, there's a a path with less conflict. Well, you wouldn't have the blessing that Mm. follows. Mm. And uh, so yeah, they're they're kind of like a sister church, like they're kindred spirit to us. And
0: you know, Pastor Jason and uh, Carrie and the boys were down there a couple months back. Yeah, they were. That was fun. So they brought back a good report. They said they had a great time and the worship was fantastic. Yeah, we love them.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. So one of the reasons we wanted Josh to come on, he's not just a friend, um, it's that he has an interest in and uh, you know, has done a lot of reading on pastors of the past. Mm. And that before we go into the particulars, we want to talk about Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers. Mm. Uh, but one of the unique things about you, as long as i 've known you, is that you like old dead guys, oh, like yeah. you are the banner of truth guy <laughs> and and people know Josh as this guy he 's like born in the wrong century, you know <laughs> um, so I wanted to ask you, not knowing you beyond you know the last couple of years, yeah. what was it that sparked your interest because it's it 's not common for men your age you're a young guy. Most of the pastors that young people look to, Mm. like when I got into, I'm 36, Mm. and when I was getting into ministry, it was like the new Reformed movement, and the new Calvinist movement, I guess, and the... um, There were some very gifted, charismatic leaders, young, you know, late 30s, early 40s. Now they pointed us towards older men, you know, Mm. sprawl, MacArthur, Piper, and they pointed us towards the Puritans and Spurgeon. I came to know Spurgeon through like Driscoll and he was his favorite preacher. But I but I would say the doorway for me into ministry was still through contemporaries. But you from what I know of you, mm. you're almost the inverse. Mm. Like even following you on social media, um, like you have been really influenced by men of the past and and distant past. How
2: did that begin? Like where did that come from? I mean, yeah, it kind of began almost where you began, but it was a. a- kind of quick leap to that. Okay. Like I heard from, you know, guys like John Piper, or yeah. others quoting Edwards sure. and these, you know, other Puritans. And so kind of that bridgeway, I, I jumped right from immediately from Piper and these other men to let's go right to the sources of these guys sure. that they're quoting and uh, really trying to think of, I get in Hebrews, it says, you know, learn from your leaders and yeah. those who've, you know, proclaimed the word of God to you. And so looking at Like a man, a pastor that's really stood the test of time. Sure. You know, and uh, I think with Spurgeon, what intrigued me was even with the downgrade controversy, Mm because he was a man involved in controversy and standing up for biblical convictions. And Spurgeon said you know i i'm I'd rather be eaten by the dogs in my generation, and in you know a hundred years from now, you know the Lord may vindicate my name, yes, and uh yeah, looking back now at Spurgeon, you see you know the Lord did vindicate yes. this man's name yes. he' was, had a lot of opposition in his day, but he stood firm for the Lord, and uh yeah, so trying to look at a man like that, and so you just moved these, quickly like moved when quickly. the names
1: were brought up, you weren't content to yeah. say." to use them as almost a justification like the Pharisees did of Moses mm. and the fathers. Mm. You're like, well, I actually want to read them. Yeah. I want to know what they said. They're not badges around me. Mm-hmm. Cause that's big in the reform world oh, yeah. is the appeal to historical figures as a moral or doctrinal justification is, is a major problem. And it's, we should respect the past, but there's a way of like, if you throw in an Owen quote or, or you know, something you're good. Mm, but yeah. You went right through and studied. I want to pick up on something you just said, because this is important. We know Spurgeon, again, for those who don't know, and I actually think there's a lot of listeners who don't know much about him. um, He's known as the Prince of Preachers. Mm. And I'm not sure if that was a contemporary title given to him.
2: Probably not. Okay. No. Yeah. But basically, we on. look back, and yeah. if you
1: read his sermons, I was just saying to someone, it's it's almost unreal. Mm. Like you can't believe someone. He is so piercing mm. and so eloquent, and and I've you know reading his sermons, he just gets at the heart of the issue. He gets the glory of Jesus. He gets the heart of man in a way that I've never read, mm. and. We look at him and I've known him through men who love and respect him. But in his day, he was criticized. Oh yeah. And he did face controversy. And he was actually in a minority position mm-hmm. on certain massive issues. Mm-hmm. So what just maybe even briefly, what was the downgrade controversy and how what was his involvement in that?
2: Yeah. And I, I don't know that specific area for great detail, but um yeah, there's a book by Ian Murray on the okay. forgotten Spurgeon. I'd yep. recommend anyone listening to read that. But basically it was within the uh, the Baptist Union of his day. So yep. so men that he would have linked arms with, you know, convictionally as Baptists. Um but then in his time, you know, there were the influence of of Marx sure. and, and Darwin and uh really the higher criticism and uh Turning away from the uh, the authority of the scriptures and sufficiency mm-hmm. and all of that, mm-hmm. uh, so a lot of attacks on the scriptures, um, and so you have that complex going on there, where Spurgeon, Spurgeon stood his ground and uh, planted his feet um, on the authority of Scripture and sufficiency and inspiration and mm-hmm. all these things, and. He was really rejected by a lot of the men of his day that he linked arms with, right. you know? And uh, so he ended up leaving the Baptist Union right, and uh, and really died alone and was really hated near the end of his ministry, ministry by a lot of men that wow. uh, he would have had fellowship with. yeah. And then there was also the hyper-Calvinists of his day. That was a different controversy, but uh, they would all call him an Arminian because he'd right. offer the gospel freely to yes. to any sinner. Yeah. So uh, he was a man that was really... Uh, you know, loved by many, but also had uh, enemies of his day too. Yeah. And uh, going back to that title of Prince of Preachers, yeah, you gotta wonder, now we're looking back, you know, a couple hundred years after Spurgeon's life in ministry, and he has that popular title. But if you were to interview people in his day, even Christians, yeah, you wonder what they'd
0: say. Could you know, have been it, a
1: controversial figure. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you mentioned uh, Marx. Mm. Um, I, I don't know if this is a real quote, but I I heard that Marx and Engels identified Spurgeon as sort of the biggest roadblock to them moving their...
2: Yeah. Their agenda forward. Yeah. Yeah, And um, Tom Askell for Founders Ministry has a great article on, I forget the title, but it's Charles Spurgeon versus Marxism or something. Wow. And those were the two competing worldviews of of the day where uh, Spurgeon was preaching Christ and, you know, a biblical worldview uh, for all of life. And then you had Marx of his day proclaiming, um, you know this this anti gospel. Yes, yes. Marx and, was uh, in
0: England at the time too. Wasn't yeah,
2: it? yeah, yeah. So that it's very I did not interesting. Not know that. Yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. I re- recommend that article by uh, Founders Ministry because it's, there's a lot of parallels to our day. Yeah. Um, because you see Marxism coming up with yes. different colors of Black Lives Matter and yeah. and all the stuff we see in our society. And, and preachers
1: so, who stand against the spirit of the age, yeah. whether that be within the church or without, will face ridicule. And mm. maybe we've talked about this, but readjusting your view of what it means to be faithful mm-hmm. and not to adopt a fatalist or a victim mentality or anything like that, but simply recognize that what Jesus' words are true. They hated me, they're going to hate you. Yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of us in our um, celebrity culture we've grown up in, and it's a temptation of young men to romanticize ministry. This oh, yeah. is bad. Yeah. And you do that with Spurgeon too. You think, if I could preach like that, if yeah. I you know, had those gifts and, and I wish I win those converts, it's like, but do you want to do what it takes to get there? Do you want to persevere through the conflict that you face and the controversy? And it's mm. almost like you, you reimagine these guys as if they, life was amazing and they just saw nothing but success. Right. And, but if you do that in your life and ministry, even if you're not a pastor, you're just a husband, a father, worker, your expectation... Is nothing but praise, adoration, and acceptance, mm. or at least toleration. Yeah. You will you will feel as though when you face pushback and conflict that something's wrong. Mm. Yeah, and this and, isn't
0: what I signed up for. No, yeah. and, and
1: we need to not repaint the men of the past. No. And it's encouraging to hear that. It's like, yeah. yeah, he probably he was a real servant of God yeah. because he faced the, the hatred and the scorn of the world. Yeah, yeah. Kind of see good. some
0: um, parallels to uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones. Mm. in mm-hmm. he seemed to face a lot of that criticism as well, mm-hmm. but also had a lot of personal stuff that would, you know, was a... I guess, a hindrance for him in some ways, or when, a trial. Like,
1: but when you look yeah. back at him, a lot of people just think of logic on fire. Like yeah, they right. just think of this, everything, like Midas preachers, everything I touch turns to gold. Yeah, right. And the, when you really dig into the men, oh yeah, you realize life wasn't that simple. No. Yeah. And that's no. an encouragement for us. It is, yeah. And uh, kind of an indictment on those who criticize faithful men, too. Yeah. Mm, mm-hmm. um, it's like you need, to, you need to be careful. The ones that are who are scorned and ridiculed by the world, it's the problem with the whole, the preacher must be a winsome man. He must be a man who is loved by the world or he's not a good witness. Yeah. It's like, point to any faithful man who history remembers as such, yeah. who escaped ridicule and mm. hatred and controversy.
2: I mean, yeah, look at Hebrews 11. Yeah, the, yep. the, yeah, yeah. exactly. Heroes of the faith. Yes, some of whom the into, world was and, not worthy. yeah.
1: And we would so many guys today would stand, and they'd be on the wrong side of that, like they would say they got what they deserved, yeah. you know well this that that was a helpful aside, so maybe backing up you know some of our listeners maybe have not even heard of Spurgeon or just by name if you were if someone was to meet with you over coffee and they asked, "Oh, who is Charles Spurgeon, mm. like what would you say to them? just a lay level who is this guy? We've been talking about him for 15 minutes. We haven't really introduced him. Yeah,
2: yeah. So I, I guess I'd begin with when he was born. He yeah. was born in the Victorian era. Uh, it's important when you think of these historical figures to really set the context sure. uh, because, you know, he's living in different times than we are. And, yeah. Um, so yeah, he was born in ni- uh, 1834, June 19th mm-hmm. in Essex, England. Mm-hmm. So he was an Englishman. And really, a, a man born into a, a godly heritage, like yes. his father was a, a grandfather was a pastor and um, really steeped deep into the Puritans. Right. So there's, uh, yeah, stories of Spurgeon when he was just a little guy, four years old or something like that, going up to his grandfather's um, library and picking up the Puritans. Nice. And uh, one of the greatest works that had an influence on Spurgeon was John Bunyan in The Pilgrim's Progress. Okay. So, uh Spurgeon, really was influenced by the Puritans, and uh the Lord converted him at age sixteen and a year later, when he was seventeen, he's already pastoring, so he's really a remarkable figure, yeah, um you know, you look at this man, and not every man is going to be Spurgeon in their nope. day. I mean, this is a remarkable um man that the Lord, by his grace, raised up for that time period in a remarkable way. I mean, you look throughout church history and you see that there are these key pillars you know not everyone's going to be in that prominent position mm-hmm. as Spurgeon but he was converted um quite suddenly he was uh guided into this little chapel on a, a they say a, a storm uh, blew all the the snow and couldn't really see where he was going and ended up in this chapel and the preacher wasn't even there that was supposed to be preaching that day and so this little shoemaker came in and basically he he preached from Isaiah and said you know look unto me and be saved mm-hmm. that's what the Lord's call is and um, Spurgeon just had his heart pierced by the the Lord through that text and you know said if he could look he'd look and look and look again till he yeah couldn't look no more at Christ and. From that point on, it was uh, a, a very quick call to the ministry. Mm. Um, yeah, a year later, he'd be pastoring his first church and just a real struggling Baptist work. I think it was called Water yeah, Water um, Beach Baptist Chapel. And uh, from that point on, it was just a remarkable revival almost. I mean, the church went from almost under 100 people to you know 600 and the the walls were just busting and a few years later he'd be called to london and preach in one of the largest baptist churches there where john gill would have pastored and uh yeah so he was a a very remarkable man a pastor Mm -hmm. that uh that loved his people and but also very evangelistic as well and had a a heart for bringing the gospel and bringing the word of god to all areas you know he um Started pastor's colleges. Uh, he started an orphanage ministry where, you know, there I don't even know the number of how many orphanages were started up and uh, church planning ministry, all, all these things. He was a remarkable man. And mm-hmm. uh, his sermons went every week across the globe in the newspapers. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, he had a great influence even outside of England. Wow.
1: Yeah, that's an amazing testimony about his conversion because it shows that it's the power of God's word and the spirit working through the word. Yeah, you know, some layman stands up and just preaches, you know, a sermon that certainly Spurgeon would go on to dwarf as far as eloquence. Yeah, and yet the power is in the word, and the Mm. gospel has power, and the prince of preachers is saved by. A layman, yeah, that's that's so awesome. Yeah, it is, and and no doubt probably played a role in in humbling him too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. um, so I kind of asked you this about about him, but it was you spent a lot of time not just on the, the Puritans in general, but Spurgeon in particular, and what is are, are there things that beyond what you've mentioned that drew you to him in particular um was it was it the preaching like a lot of people read his sermons i read his sermons Mm. um like what is it about charles spurgeon that led you like you you studied formally Mm -hmm. at tbs you did your paper on him and why is that
2: yeah, I think what was really contagious for me was re- starting to read his sermons. Yeah, um, he has one sermon called the title's "Now," mm. and he spends the whole sermon really pleading with sinners. You know, now is the favorable time to come to Christ. Now mm. is the day of salvation today, and uh, really wanting to see okay, what what made this man into who he is? You yeah. know, like how did he? Get that evangelistic fervor, yeah. where it not only compelled him to preach Christ and the gospel in his church, but also outside of the church. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you know what kind of things did he do to have an impact on society an impact on yeah. culture? He didn't just remain in his ivory tower. He was yeah. brilliant. Yeah, he had a brilliant mind theologically, but uh, this was a man that. Yeah, had the, the fire within his bones literally, and he was just compelled yeah. in all that he did to make Christ known. So I think it was that that yes. really drew me and wanting to study him and say, okay, what can I learn from him, yeah. and uh, and learn how he followed Christ. You know, I don't want to stop that Spurgeon, mm. but how did Spurgeon follow Christ, and and what did his walk with the Lord? Um, you know how did it influence him and his yeah. ministry, and how can that influence me?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he was in one sense... So I, I've read that he had a borderline photographic memory, yeah. like he read a book a day kind yeah. of guy, Yeah, and you could bring most of it to recall. I mean, I've looked at his preaching notes. If you read his sermons, like the first time I actually read words from Charles Spurgeon, I think it was in the Introduction to Knowing God. Okay, yeah. And Packer quotes, and I never even heard of Spurgeon. And he quotes, and as I'm reading the quote, I'm literally moved to tears. Like, Mm. I can't remember it right now, but I remember thinking that's the most beautiful thing I've ever read. Yeah. And he goes on to say something like, this is a 16-year-old Charles Spurgeon or something so young, I think still teens. I remember thinking I should quit. It's like, I should just stop (laughs) pretending to be a pastor, and I'm just not, and I'm an imposter. But the guy was so enormously gifted. Yeah. But at the same time, um, he wasn't a spectacle. Like, no. he actually had, uh, he, he blessed and helped and encouraged so many people, and I know this from reading his sermons, yeah. towards Christ. And so what is, it, do you, what is it that made his sermons so evangelistic? Um, mm. Do you think it was just the, the, you can't quantify in one sense someone's Passion and devotion yeah like you can tell when someone is talking about Jesus versus mm-hmm. when someone has met with Jesus yeah and this is what they said to the disciples you know truly these men have been with Jesus like what is that yeah is it that they just knew a lot about him or was it that they themselves sincerely believed what they said um, what, what what do you think it is there are a variety of things that made his ministry so evangelistic?
2: Yeah, one thing that comes to my mind, because uh, Ian Murray wrote a lot about Spurgeon, okay. and uh, in his book, Spurgeon vs. Hyper-Calvinism, um, Ian Murray says that uh, it wasn't just Spurgeon's knowledge of you know the doctrines of grace, the tulip, Calvinism, Reformed theology, it wasn't just his knowledge of that that made him evangelistic, because you could have all the right theology, but totally. uh but be dead evangelistically of and course. have no uh burden for the lost but murray says and i think he he nails it on the head here that spurgeon just didn't have it in his mind uh but he felt what he he knew to be true he yes. he uh he was impacted by the realities of of the scriptures yeah. and of of god and this great salvation and it so gripped him that it really compelled him, you know, like mm-hmm. Paul says, the love of Christ compels us. Yes, yes. And so when we understand what Christ has done for us and th- this great and glorious salvation, you know, not only what He's done, but what He's doing and what He's going to continue to do and will do, um, that's what compels us. So I think that might be the key there. Like Spurgeon, mm-hmm. he really felt what he he knew, and his doctrine wasn't just this theoretical. Head knowledge, but it really impacted his soul. Mm -hmm. I forget the one sermon he preached, but but he was pleading with the lost, and then he he went on in the sermon and said, you know, I wish I had uh, this this gun that I could fire myself at you until you you came Mm -hmm. to Christ. You know, like I wish this I had these gospel bullets in my hand that could just pierce your heart. Or uh, you know, there's a famous quote where he talks about the lost and. You know, if you be damned to hell, if you die in your sins, at least you, you know, die in your sins with me having my arms wrapped around your feet and mm. me pleading with you to come to Christ. So that's a man who who really has felt the the weight of his sin yeah. and the worthiness of Christ.
1: Yeah, and you can't. The lesson for us is you can't fake that. No, you can't. You, yeah, you can't play preacher. No, you can't play pastor. And there's that temptation with preaching and ministry, the same way there is with literally any job or vocation. Yeah, to Spurgeon talks about this in his lectures to my students. Yeah. He actually talks about, I think the image he gives, a lot of guys want to be in ministry like a uh, hound chasing a fox, or mm-hmm. they imagine they want to go and take part in the hunt, and it's his dream, you know, and, and it's good to have noble aspirations. Yeah. Paul says this, whoever desires to be an overseer desires a noble task. And and you must in fact desire it, um, but at the same time our desires are a mixed bag, yeah. and if we have identity issues and if we romanticize ministry, we end we end up playing a part, pulpiteers, you know. But mm. Spurgeon, you can't even say it was his eloquence. There no, are there's yeah. other eloquent men, yep. even not to that degree, but it's actually just. There's no way around the fact that he loved the Lord Jesus Christ mm. and he loved sinners. Mm. Amen. And he just wanted them to be saved. Yeah. And that's that's an intangible thing. Yeah. And that's a that's for us. I mean, all of your evangelistic strategies. We always tell people in our church: no strategy can overcome a lack of love. Mm. Like, and if you truly do love, then that can that can that can outdo any. Poor strategy. Yeah, that's right. You know, God just does use that. Yeah. So yeah, Um, Mm. so one of the elements of His ministry that you touched on in, uh, I think you said in the paper that you wrote for school, has to do with like open air preaching, Mm. like public ministry outside the walls of the church. This is something I like to talk about because Jared and I have talked personally about street preaching. Mm you've engaged in street preaching, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe tell us that first. Like you've, since you were at university, like how'd you get into this? Yeah.
2: I was talking to one of my friends last week. We were downtown Hamilton, uh, street preaching and uh, evangelizing. And, uh, yeah, it's been probably about eight years we've been doing that wow. on and off. Um, it started back when I was at Wilfrid Laurier in okay. Waterloo and connected with Jacob Raume and Will Sherman. Yeah. And these guys were, yeah, doing street evangelism, street preaching on the university campuses. So it was really through those men that, uh, yeah, I had a, a growing desire to share share the gospel with the, the unconverted and um, really a burden to just publicly bring the word of God to bear in the the public sphere, uh, as we were. Uh, And yeah, so it started there. And then coming back to once I finished um, my undergrad, I was going to TBS there and living in Burlington, still in commuting, and trying to get a couple of guys in our church saying, hey, let's go downtown Burlington. And uh, at at that point, we didn't do open air preaching, but let's let's just see where people are, if there's kind of a a fishing hole where you could meet people, a marketplace, and let's just uh, test the waters out, hand out tracks, try and get conversations going. So it began with that for probably about a year. Um, And then when we got familiar with the spot, we said, why don't we try open air preaching? So I remember the first night we did it, downtown Burlington, there's a nice lakefront there and there's benches and all that. Um, So we set up and, uh, yeah, started open air preaching, really just telling them of Christ and what he's done and I remember the police actually came and they they pulled over and they had their uh, their sirens not sirens on but the lights on yeah and and they kind of were stopping the traffic and said we've never seen anyone do this before in Burlington you know what are right. you guys doing so <laughs> we were able to tell them we're telling them about the Lord Jesus Christ who can forgive you of your sins if you, you come to Him and they said okay that's fine but just uh, we ask that you'd stop at 9 p.m. sure because if it's past 9 p.m. people could complain about the sound the noise, yeah so we said okay that's fine, you know, we wanted to be uh you know, cooperate with yep. them and not be uh, any trouble. So we said that's fine at nine PM we'll we'll turn it turn it off. You know, we started at seven PM and went till nine. And the next week they followed up with us and uh yeah, they said thank you for honoring your word. And um so yeah, we're not gonna bug you guys anymore. So, you know, that was seven ish years ago and pretty much throughout the the spring and summers we've been there almost every Friday night. I haven't been there in recent days, just with all the different busyness in my sure. schedule, but, uh, but there's been a group of four or five guys out every Friday night. Oh, I did that. not know this. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's really encouraging, you know? And we've, uh, we have were trying to estimate how many tracks have been handed out. Um, one of my friends, he's an elder at another Baptist church in Burlington, and his church orders about 10,000 tracks a year and he says pretty much every year they go through that many, just handing it out. And so, you know, you pray that even Lord, like 1% of that 10,000 would read it and really be impacted. Um, but yeah, that's kind of been the most encouraging ministry, even in my, for my own soul, just going out and, um, you know, feeling that reproach for Christ and being fools for Christ. Like it, it really makes you, uh, have thick skin because mm. it 's not easy, and uh and yeah you, you face various people yeah yeah,
1: well that 's amazing. I did not know I knew you had some experience, in yeah. this, but i didn't know there was like an ongoing ministry mm. that 's great, so one of the I have so many questions about yeah, this me too. um do you have anything you want to ask
0: well James? yeah I, just like logistically, yeah, if you've got four or five guys, is everybody sort of trading off? Um, how do you, I mean, there's probably moments where there's nobody around. Yeah, Do you just kind of stop until people start wandering up or you just keep going?
2: Yeah, that's a good Um, question. Like kind of where we began, and even with Spurgeon in my um, my thesis with him, he says not every man's called to open air preach because I think you want to be cautious who does that. You want it, you know, a good guideline is, is there a, a man that has these, you know, godly qualifications? They don't necessarily have to be an elder, but but is there these evidences of grace in their life? And, um, you know, do they have self-control and all these various things? Because, yeah, the last thing you want is a guy open-air preaching and then someone, you know, throws something at them and then they just... Throw something back. Yeah, throw (laughs) something back. So trying to say, okay, you know, is there a guy that that has these godly qualities and and has that desire? Um, And maybe they, they come along and listen for a while and there was one guy um, in a different church that began opening a preaching, but he just began by reading a track um, out loud on on a mic, and he kind of did that for a while, and and just started, you know, memorizing scripture and various things. Um, so not every man does it. There's a lot that come out with us that are just there, even praying if if yeah. um, they're with us, or a lot have tracks. I honestly find the tracks often open up more doors for gospel conversations than the open air preaching like the open air preaching the words being proclaimed um, you know vocally and so people are coming by and stopping and listening but almost the the more meaningful conversations are the ones next to me or around me that are kind of seeing someone stop and starting up a conversation with them and they're handing them a track and having more engaging conversations so really what we try and do is if there's people around, you know, in the area, the open air preaching is kind of just that, that tool, you know, that, that really opens the door. Um, sometimes we have people stay and listen, and that's wonderful. Like there's been a couple times where there's people just sitting on a bench listening for even half an hour. And I'm just preaching the gospel to them. Um, so it always... It depends on the situation. If there's no one there, um, we won't open air preach, but just hand out tracks and
0: talk. If there's a good crowd, we'll do that. Um, do you have like certain just go to texts that you can? You're so familiar with them, you could just open them up and preach from them with no notes. Or are you actually preparing? Uh, yeah, an outline. Like how are you? How are you doing that?
2: I began with preparing an outline. Um, Paul Washer has a very good track. I forget what it's called, the the gospel of Jesus Christ or something like that, but it literally has, it has the character of God and then like three or four texts of scripture. And then it has the, the depravity or issue of man, their sin against God. And then the great dilemma, how, how does a sinner get right with a holy God that they've sinned against? And then the solution, the cross of Christ and the call to repent and, and come to him so I, for many years, used just this gospel tract that just had all scripture there. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the times it was just reading out the scripture and saying, here's who God is, here's your issue. You know, it's not it's not just a social issue or all these different things. Those are just mere symptoms of, of the real issue of your rebellion mm-hmm. and sin. Um, and, and yeah, just memorizing those texts. And, uh, you know, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and God being rich in mercy and just all these gospel texts. Yeah.
1: That's great. That's super helpful. Yeah. And um, so it's a, it's a team. It's a good thing to do with a brother. Oh, at yeah. At least a brother. Yeah. Yeah. So you have someone praying for you and you have someone to even engage in personal evangelism. So it's not yeah. just the street preaching. No. It's the personal evangelism yeah. Yeah. that we're able to um, engage in. Mm-hmm. One of the questions... We were one of the things we were talking about before we went on air to our millions of listeners <laughs> is uh w- what does the public square look like in today's age because in uh, you know Elizabethan or yeah. victorian England yeah yeah um it would have looked different that there there was a public square so our public square in Peterborough is probably the cenotaph across from city hall yeah as far as foot traffic, it is still downtown. Although COVID has decimated it, there probably aren't that many people passing by. It's, mm. It is not a place that people go. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with the with the autumn, like with the car and with malls and suburbs, people's lives are very insulated from other people. Mm. We found for years, even getting students to come to church, yeah. it was hard to get them out of their dorm rooms. Mm-hmm. Like people are isolated. Mm-hmm. So, what does the public square look like if we say, yes, we're on board? Yes, we got to go. We got to get outside of the walls of the church. Some people would say the new public square, you know, Elon Musk has said Twitter's the new public square. We need to preserve freedom of speech mm. and avoid censorship because this is where ideas are promulgated and discussed and in order to have a functioning democracy you need to have freedom of speech. We would amend that. And he's saying Twitter is that. Mm. There's a sense in which social media has replaced that in people's lives. My question for us to maybe discuss, as Christians, do we simply um recognize, look, this is the way things are. I'm gonna reach way more people online if I make it a strategy to do so then i will standing on the sidewalk as it were and it's fine to utilize those means but i i just wonder if partly what we want to do in a world that has retreated and isolated itself and is descending into dehumanizing yeah. views of 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 culture that we want to push back and evangelize in a way that is humanizing mm. And that is to say, face to face, yeah, so you mentioned um first John and his other Thessalonians too, where he says that you know being away from them, he longed even more to see them face to face, and there's this idea that both John and Paul had, even while they had the capacity through the technology of letters to communicate with people and to communicate the Word of God so as powerful and effective. They didn't think that it was um the only they didn't think the written word was the only sufficient means of communication. Mm-hmm. I don't mean the word of God isn't sufficient. I mean the written word as a medium was not the sum total of the Christian life. Yeah. The Christian fellowship is important. I just wonder throwing this to you guys like what does street evangelism even street preaching personal evangelism look like? in an internet age, in an isolated age. Mm. Like, do, do you think that we should push through those barriers to get to people face-to-face?
0: Like, would you both mm. agree with that? Well, yeah, I don't have nearly any, any experience yeah. in street preaching, but we all know that face-to-face interactions are a million times more fruitful than right. online, online interactions. Yeah. So there's no question yeah. about that.
2: Yeah, I think you look at how the Lord has created us in His image. I mean, we're created body and soul. Yeah, you know, and you think of the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, the eternal Son of God took upon flesh yeah. and dwelt among us, and so His ministry was an incarnational ministry. Yes. And um, he didn't send a message. Yeah, he, he you know he didn't use he a different a mean, but yeah. he he came uh, to men and preached to them and. Um, you look, I think of Paul and Romans, you know, how will they hear if a preacher isn't sent to them? Yes. Yes. And uh yeah, and in, in John's letters he's saying, you know, I long to see you face to face. Yeah. And like Romans one, Paul's saying to the Romans, like I'm I'm eager to come preach to you. Yes. You know, it, so writing even the letter to the Romans or John writing to the churches, it it was a means, but it wasn't uh, you know, the be all end all. But no. they long to be in the presence of of these people, and you know, look them in the eye. I think um, in this digital age, we can almost lose lose how the Lord's created us. Yeah. We're created to be with people, yes, and uh, and practice you know the one and others. I mean, we've seen that in COVID, yeah, yeah. and uh, in particular with evangelism. I mean, um, Spurgeon would say like the best way to evangelize someone is to look them in the eye, yeah, and Tell them of their soul and preach Christ to them. And w- with the digital age, yes, you may be able to te- technically say, you know, so a hundred people listen to this gospel presentation. But with that, I mean, you could be totally distracted. It's different, totally different than if you were looking me in the eyes and saying, this is your state before God Mm -hmm. and you need to repent Mm -hmm. or you're going to perish in your sins Mm -hmm. under God's wrath. So I'm pleading with you, come to Christ. Mm -hmm. It's much different if you're looking them in the eyes. And I think um, you lose that with the digital age. Yes, there may be helpful means that we thank God for. But uh, we need to, I think, push back on that in our day. Yeah. Because you really see that even with where society is going with the metaverse, thinking that we can just, um, you know, just be in this metaverse, really a fake world. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're created with a body and soul. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I think that's coming down the pipeline. I mean, you already see during COVID, there's these avatar baptisms and all this insanity. Um, So, I think in our day, especially with evangelism, we need to push back. Um, against that and, and deal with people in person. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's how the Lord's designed it.
1: Don't undermine the truth by using means that undermine the truth. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And and like you said in Scripture, Paul expressed a longing to be with them in an age where it was very costly to do so. Yeah. It's far more expedient to send a letter. And um, the other thing I'm thinking is social media has... Um, create a lot of division in that Mm. the way that we tend to view people who differ from us is actually very extreme. It's polarizing the word I'm looking for. And if evangelism is seeking to persuade someone through the truth and through prayer, um then it's important that we actually remove as many caricatures as possible. Let the offense be Christ. Yeah. And online it's just it's just a it's like tribal polarizing caricatures. Whereas when you, we experienced this at the drag um, Mm. story hour, when we went there and we engaged in conversation, one, we could tell these people I'd never seen with their own eyes, a normal person. It's (laughs) like, like, it was almost like they
0: couldn't believe. Like they went to the zoo and saw an animal for the first time. Yeah. they heard about.
1: Yeah. Mm. And we're like, Hey, we're what everyone was about five minutes ago. Wow. But it actually opened the door to have some great conversations and this, I mean, this one lady who was talking to me initially was, it was somewhat of a combative or adversarial conversation. But by the end of it, before I left, I said, you know, it just expressed my understanding to her and Rebecca was able, I think Rebecca gave her a hug and Mm. she was in tears. And, but it was because we started out with her deal relating to me as a, as a caricature, Mm. like, not as who I am, not as what I think about what she thought I thought. Right. But by the end of it, she, she, and through the course of our conversation, I kept challenging her and she was just confronted with like, Oh, they don't think what I thought, you know, maybe what I think is not and it just actually brought us together. Mm. So she wasn't converted on the spot, but, um, there is something about face-to-face interaction, yeah. I think, that we need to not give up
2: in mm, evangelism. Exactly, yeah.
1: But it's going to take a lot for the church to figure out how we do this Yeah. because anytime. there is no public square outside. Mm. And you can find festivals. A brother of ours, um, Derek, preaches weekly, mm. uh, has for years down at our festival. But beyond that, yeah, there's not much of a space. Mm. yeah so that takes <clears throat> prayer that takes prayer and thought. um how do we do that? yeah well, that's yeah, that's super helpful.
0: Mm. Um, I found my interaction I had an interaction at the uh uh protest as well, and it kind of wet my appetite because I found it so easy mm. in a sense, and you know before you're interacting with something with someone you're always wondering like, what are they going to bring to the table? What am right. I going to have to answer? Um, what challenges are, are they going to bring to my view? Maybe they're going to say something I never thought of before.
2: Mm.
0: It was so easy because all I had to do was tell her what the Bible said. Yeah. It was, and it just, it was so easy and I didn't have to, you know, I wasn't trying to prove why the no. Bible is, is no. what it is or, or prove, you know, that here's 10, 10 crazy arguments for the existence of God, you know, yeah. it's the ontological argument for the, it's like, and no, I don't have to do that. The Bible says they already know there's a God. I don't mm. need to prove it to them. Mm. I just need to bring scripture to bear. And um, <clears throat> so I found that to be really encouraging mm. uh, and kind of wet my appetite a little more to just like, well, that's, if that's all I got to do, then it's not as difficult as maybe I thought it was going to be. Yeah. <clears throat> do you know if
1: Spurgeon emphasized the ministry of the local church? Because sometimes in evangelistic ministries, mm. it, many people have talked about this, but there's you always need to um, help converts mm. incorporate into the church to recognize that we are saved individually, but we are not saved unto ourselves. Mm. That We are saved uh, into a body mm-hmm. and that the Christian life is lived in fellowship with particular Believers in particular places, particular leaders, kind of thing. Um, do you have a, Do you think about that when you're engaged in personal evangelism and street mm. preaching? And do you do you talk about it and like have a plan? Like if someone is to be converted or something, mm-hmm. like the, we're moving them towards
2: the local church. Big time, yeah. I think it's twofold. Like so, when we're thinking of the church's witness and evangelistic outreach. I think it was Ray Comfort. I used to listen to him a lot in the earlier days and he was saying, "Okay, if you think of a a policeman looking for criminals, you know, that that policeman has to go out and try and find the criminal he's looking for. The criminal's not going to come in most times and and turn himself in." Yeah. And the same thing is with sinners. Like, I mean, if the church's evangelistic strategy is simply for an unbeliever to stumble into our church yeah. at some point, I mean, we're not really going to be um yeah, uh winning souls to Christ and and uh yeah, making That's Christ not going. known. Our, no, it's not going. No. So I think if we have that mentality and Spurgeon really emphasized that in his congregation that uh you know, our Lord said compel them to come in, so we have to and each city's unique, I think each church needs to pray, okay lord where 's our fishing hole you know where Where do we have a unique opportunity where we can try and and fish for souls, as it were, uh, and that's going to look different for each church, you know, like our area it's it's quite a nice area that really fits well. People are always at the lake in this yeah, park great. there, but uh, yeah, in Peterborough it may be something different, so I think it takes time and prayer to think of that but uh yeah understanding that our witness in this in this church it has to be outward looking and there has to be an uh, an area where we can really be salt and light and bring the word of god to our city in some some form um and then also yeah like i mean in burlington there's uh there's our church in the northern part of burlington and then another church that kind of helps out with us in evangelism is on the southern part of burlington and so um, really we try and have uh, a couple different local churches that are healthy and biblical that we know of depending on where the individual is. And, uh, yeah, after our conversation, we say, you know, we really, uh, you need to go and, and connect connect. and, um, here's a couple churches that you should check out. So mm-hmm. yeah, you always want to, um, connect people to the local church because mm-hmm. that's, uh, that's the Lord's, uh. Yeah, His plan through the mm-hmm. local church, the manifold wisdom of God is is made known. In Ephesians, we see that. So, uh, yeah, we have to do that in our evangelism. It's not this lone ranger yeah. mentality where we just uh, seek to win someone to Christ and then just leave them on their yeah. own. But there needs to be that. That's where discipleship happens in the local church, mm-hmm. right? So,
1: so what what do you it sounds like, as you discuss this, I mean an effective evangelistic ministry I mean, I think of Spurgeon saying, You know you want to know the success of my preaching there's you know a hundred people hmm. in the basement praying, yeah, and um so how do we mobilize if a church is involved in street preaching and personal public personal evangelism, yeah. let's say that public evangelism. They need to understand that it's a whole body ministry. Yeah. Amen. That not everyone will preach. No. And not everyone, not even everyone will go out. But um there's a there's a variety of ways that people can serve. Yeah. Big and time. I think a lot of people get hung up because they might watch these videos of these yeah. preachers and think, wow, these guys are gifted, they're quick on their feet, they, you know, and I'm just not that. But I have a desire to witness to the lost yeah. and to be involved in evangelism. Um one thing is don't discount God using the weak, foolish things of the earth. Yeah. So, yes, we remember the Spurgeon. Spurgeon was converted by a... By a shoemaker. A yeah. shoemaker. Yeah. Like, maybe yeah. that's your role. Mm. Maybe your role is like you memorize some scriptures, you write some down, and you just read them. Yeah. And you say two sentences. And like, maybe God's going to save the world's next, you know... Prince of Preachers, through that ministry. The other thing is every ministry needs prayer. Mm. And so every single member of our congregation can be praying. If we know Friday night or Saturday night or this event, um, we're going to be doing evangelism, everyone can be committed to praying and fasting for that. Um, You want to have men go out with you to talk to people, men and women, to go out Mm -hmm. and talk to people, to hand out tracts, you want to have people who are gifted hospitality wise yeah. um to say how do we welcome people in? Like if exactly. someone's saying, Look, I would love to come, like who's grabbing their number, who the contact, and who's organizing a ride? And often the people who are best at recognizing those needs won't be the preacher. It'll mm. be someone else who just they're 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 gifted with um serving and with compassion and mercy and hospitality. So I think that's helpful for a church to to realize that everyone can play a role in an, in a in a healthy evangelistic ministry. Yeah, and that that's actually better for the church too.
2: Hmm, exactly.
1: Well, I mean i I took a lot away from this a lot more than I was expecting to talk about. Are there other questions that come to your mind, Jerry?
0: Not off the top of my head, but uh... yeah. Well, that was great. Oh, I, sure. Here's a question. Uh, what are you reading lately? You got any good books on the go? We uh, usually do a little book thing at the end. Yeah, so, there's. You know, what do you got? Uh,
2: so, uh, Reformation Heritage published this new book by Jeff Thomas called "Everyone's Invited," mm. and Jeff Thomas wrote it for unbelievers, talking about how Christ welcomes all sinners to to come yeah. to Him, this free offer of the gospel. But I found almost that this was one of the best books for even pastors or those seeking to witness for Christ, just thinking of all the various, you know, um, basically welcomes of Christ, like, you know, mm-hmm. come on to me and be saved and mm-hmm. um, find rest on the bread of life. Whoever comes will never hunger. And just mm-hmm. all these various texts uh, Jeff Thomas works through. I found my soul encouraged and built up and then really strengthened to, you know share share the gospel in a fresh way, like mm-hmm. I find myself almost just re- repeating the same thing mm-hmm. like almost in uh I don't know uh, just a some same fashion mm-hmm. um, but finding a freshness to mm-hmm. how I talk of Christ and yeah yeah, the book was really helpful, yeah,
1: if someone was to you know say I want to read more um old guys, mm-hmm. faithful saints. Who are who are maybe three to five guys that you would point people towards. There's obviously Spurgeon. Mm. You can be reading Spurgeon's sermons. You can read them online. Mm-hmm. Um, they are very devotional. Yeah. And but what 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 other people and maybe a work that you could think of that you would point people towards.
2: Yeah, uh, there's the Puritan paperbacks. Yeah. I think if you want to learn from the Puritans or some older men, those are probably a good start because they're they're tiny. They're they're easy to read. Maybe a hundred pages or 150, and uh, a lot of it's in updated English. If you want to go to a whole set of works, I mean, that's going to be. Old English and, and kind of discouraging, I think, to work through. Very few periods. Very, yeah, exactly. Lots of commas and semicolons. <laughs> mm. Yeah. So, appeared in paperback. Banner of Truth has a, a whole set. I'd recommend really any of those books are yeah. very good.
1: Yeah, that's great. Yeah. One of the benefits to reading Old People, too, is it gets you out of your day and the, um, the tyranny of the urgent, mm. right? And and the feeling, and it's even worse if you spend time online. It's like you're thinking about burdens and concerns and controversies and issues. That's like, hey, if I didn't have my phone, would I even be thinking about this? Yeah. But that's that's so that exacerbates that the benefit to unplugging and say picking up a couple Spurgeon sermons, a couple Puritan paperbacks, um, is that they had a totally different set of concerns. Yeah. But they're concerns that are human concerns, and they're God's concerns. Mm. And so sometimes we're, we're, we are led to believe what is the most present thing is the most urgent thing, but it might not be. Mm. And even in the course of this conversation, I mean, I've felt a reorienting towards evangelism, and um, it's good to read older people, because like they their day was different. They weren't thinking about these things, and you might find that, oh, this is an emphasis or a concern or a treasure about Christ that yeah, I yeah. am lacking.
0: That's what C.S. Lewis was talking about in that essay on the reading of old books. Yeah, uh, I don't know if you've read that no. essay. He's, his basic point is, like, don't read a book about Plato by some modern egghead who, mm. who doesn't, you know, just just read Plato. Mm-hmm. Or, and he cites a number of old uh, Christian authors like Augustine or mm-hmm. Athanasius as well just just read them they're they're still around for a reason mm. and it's usually because they're very good communicators and they had something to say mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so yeah i mean don't don't be intimidated maybe the language is a little hard to wrap your head around at first but uh, yeah there's uh, jewels in there
1: mm-hmm. <clears throat> great well, thanks for coming on, brother.
0: My pleasure. Yeah. It's
1: been great to have you. I think there's there's definitely more things we could talk about, other mm. topics. But
0: Are you and uh, the wife sticking around for our conference this evening? Yeah, we are. So Excellent. We can, we can catch up and
2: oh, continue great. the conversation. Excellent. That's great. Yeah.
0: Good. All right. Well, I'm going to leave us with a little something from the book of Jonah. God's response to Jonah at the end of the book. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? We'll see you next time on the Dominion Podcast.